Welcome to the dark forest. Jackie and her pals will never bore us. Shameless confessions about our obsession will make us laugh and smile. So let's explore the dark forest and dark down for a Hello and welcome to the Dork Forest. I'm Jackie Cation. I am your host of the Dork Forest. You probably know the websites, JackieCation.com, DorkForest.com, TheDorkForest.com. We're all over iTunes and whoever has downloaded it and repurposed it for whatever your needs. That's right. So feel free to review the show on iTunes. Uh, feel free to email me, Jackie at JackieCation.com, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns. Anyway, uh, let's do the credits. Mike Rickbert composed and sang that song you just heard. He sang it with his wife, Sarah. He'll sing again his words to the Mexican hat dance at the end of the program. Patrick Brady is going to fix this audio, and Vilmos does my website. Okay, there are many ways to support the show. Let's talk about them. The easiest way is just to tell other people about the show and follow me on Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat at Jackie Cation and tell people uh, word of mouth, word of mouth. Another way to support the show financially doesn't cost you anything is the Amazon banner. On JackieCation.com, there's an Amazon banner under support the show. And on dorkforest.com, there's just an Amazon link that takes you to Amazon. And both take you to Amazon. You order like normal, and the show gets a little bit of a kickback. doesn't cost you extra. It's just a way, if you order from Amazon, to help the show. More direct way of helping the show, you can uh, give money to the show via PayPal. There's a PayPal button under the Support the Show page on JackieCation.com, and there's a PayPal button on dorkforest.com. You can donate directly. If you want to give monthly, I haven't made that easy. I don't have a monthly setup. Uh, I know that it's easy. Uh, I just don't have any time to do it. So you have to remember every month that you like the show and then give me money. So uh, I'll use it wisely on audio cables and chocolate, whatever. Uh, another way to support the show, if you don't like PayPal, is people have been Venmoing me money. I'll take it. That seems lovely. Jackie at JackieCation.com. It's just under JackieCation. So whatever. If you have listened to all 600 and whatever episodes of the Dork Forest and would like more Dork Forest, there are premium episodes, probably a dozen of them. And they are, in the last couple of years, if I do a live episode, it usually costs me some money. So I have been putting them up on Bandcamp and they cost money. They cost two bucks a pop. But if you go to the dorkforest.bandcamp.com, you can see those different shows. They're usually live episodes around the world. And there is also a four four stories on a on a sort of a handmade storytelling album that I made over there too and those are just a buck each. So if you want to go to Bandcamp, you can do that as well. You can order merch on jackiecation.com. There are shirts and CDs and a DVD of my stand up. There's the stand up CDs Circus People. It's never going to be bread. This will make an excellent horcrux and my brand new album, I am not the hero of this story. And they're all available as CDs on JackieCation.com. They're all available digitally on Amazon and iTunes. And you can just listen to them on Pandora and Spotify and whatever. So, but if you like hard copies, let me know if you want them signed or not. Um, there's also a DVD of the Horcrux album, which is video. That's what a DVD is. And you can download that at ComedyFilmNerds.com if you just like a download. 
Okay, there are shirts. There's my stand-up shirt, Spooky Reading Girl. There's also two Dork Forest t-shirts. So there's the Ranger of the Dork Forest t-shirt, and there is a Dork Forest logo shirt. And all the shirts are made in the United States, union-made, so they run a little big because they're made by Americans. Other than that, my stand-up is available on the website on jackiecation.com. You can watch my Conan sets. You can watch a bunch of different stand-up sets. You can, and then you can see what my schedule's like. Enough of this. Let's get into the show. It's a really good one. Hey, it's Jackie Cation. I'm in my living room with Wyatt Gray, ladies oh, and gentlemen. Hi there. Hello. How you doing? I'm feeling good. Thanks so much for having me. Sure. No problem. And it's at Wyatt S. Gray. S. At like Wyatt Scott S. Gray. Or uh, Spencer. Spencer. Is my middle name. Yep. Wyatt Spencer Gray. That's kind of a great name. Where's oh, the great you. American novel? Uh, just stand up so far, right? <laughs> just stand up so far. <laughs> and so, and November 11th, which is uh, not just two weeks from now, if you're in LA, and you can follow Wyatt S. Gray on Twitter and get all the all, all the LA sets. Yep. But um, you're doing a 7 p.m. Uh, at at Nerd Melt. Killer Unicorns is the name of the show, but it's a straight stand-up show. Straight stand-up show. Uh, I, uh, I I host uh, and co-produce that show, uh, and we uh, we just moved to Meltdown at the Nerd Melt showroom, so we're really excited. Uh, to, it's going to be our second uh, our second month uh, second doing it there. Outing. Second outing there. First one went great. On a Saturday, yeah, and this one has Aaron Foley and Scout Derwood. Yep. So those uh, two are great. Uh, Absolutely, great I'm sure you've worked so. with them. In, I have. Uh, in the past. I have. And thanks so much for doing the plugs up top so that, you know, we even if people fall off uh, the podcast, <laughs> they still... <laughs> How can they fall off when it's going to be a spooky Halloween episode? Oh, my God. This is... Oh, man, you really... I am in my wheelhouse completely. It's my favorite month. I'm talking about one of my favorite authors. Excellent. Uh, I have... Uh, you, you have notes? Oh, my gosh. Do I have notes? I that is awesome because I only know... I'd never even heard of him before I got married because mm-hmm. uh, my dorkdom does not lend itself to the spooky. You're not a spooky uh, horror movies. No, not, not for it. not for you. Not well, it. here's the cool thing though, and because uh, you actually brought into my first quadrant of my notes, which is I thought a good place to start <laughs> is your comedian. So right. you, uh, I myself, am, uh, I'm I'm not sure you're you're someone who has a vast array of knowledge. Uh, about many things, but kind of little pieces of it because you need to kind of have that word web. It's a it's it's a shallow field. <laughs> so I but wanted a to lot of holes. Yeah, I wanted to kind what? of say <laughs> when you hear H.P. Lovecraft, when you hear Lovecraftian, mm-hmm. what comes to mind, and then I think we can kind of go from there, right. And sort of so piece together those disparate bits of it's knowledge. It's funny about the H.P. Lovecraft because mm-hmm. I have been trying to have Aaron Vanek. I don't know if you know Aaron. I Vanek? don't know Aaron Vanek. He runs an H.P. Lovecraft film festival mm-hmm. somewhere. I've been trying to have him, but he doesn't like to drive. Oh. So, uh, but this is because we were just talking. I said, you know, you can be on the show, and mm-hmm. you're like, well, I love H.P. Lovecraft. Big and I was fan. like, here's what I know about H.P. Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, 13 years ago, I met Andy Ashcraft, and his friends are giant nerds of all the things, and they do a lot of LARPing, and they do a lot mm-hmm. of. Uh, 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 tabletop games mm-hmm. and they write their own adventures with champions and D and whatever. And I'd not nauseam. Mm-hmm. Let's not say that. Absolutely. And, uh, so H.P. Lovecraft came up and I said, who's that? Mm-hmm. And who is Cthulhu? And then mm-hmm. I was given... Oh, we'll definitely. This, we'll get into that. Right. This information is that H.P. Lovecraft is an author mm-hmm. who um, had some unfortunate racial uh, attitudes. Oh, do you see my third quarter? Of third my, quarter, very I, large. We're going to need to touch and, on that, too. Mm-hmm. That is my so, reading Lovecraft in a modern context, a.k.a. he was racist. Right. <laughs> yeah, we'll need to touch on that we'll at some point. We'll touch on that. Yeah. So all I know is, here's what I know. H.P. Lovecraft wrote uh, sort of um, monstery uh, books mm-hmm. that are um, 
if talking to different people, the writing is hit and miss, but they were pulpy Mm -hmm. and he was churning them out Mm -hmm. and he created an amazing world. People have resonated with all of his monsters Mm -hmm. and uh, he was a racist. That's all I know. That is, that is absolutely fair. I think uh, you really hit the nail on the head with a lot of points here. I want (laughs) to, I want to just preface because we are on the dork forest. I think you, you have lots of fans that are, they're very passionate about lots of subjects. I have no doubt there are some HP Lovecraft fans in the audience right now. I I guess want to do kind of my my Lovecraft bona fides up top. Okay. Uh, I want to say completely, I am a lover. I am not an expert. Right. I have no doubt that I will make some factual errors during the course of this conversation. The shouting at people's in, into the sky Absolutely. from and, their headphones is And I completely constant. invite uh, anyone, you know, contact me on Twitter, DM me on Twitter. Sure. Let's have a conversation. At I always like to do Wyatt that. S. Gray. Come find there me. Go. And, go to uh, the Ranger page on Facebook <laughs> and live it up. Yeah. Talk. So I hope, I hope this starts a dialogue. Uh, in terms of my experience with Lovecraft, I... Uh, I came to him through Edgar Allan Poe, who was okay. a, probably one of his top influencers. Oh yeah, uh, you know because he uh, he was leaving he was living from 1890 to 1937, writing predominantly from about uh, probably about 1900 to 1937. Where his I mean he was writing so from Lovecraft a young age. Lovecraft died at 47. He was very young. He died. Uh, uh, most likely of a day. of a stomach cancer. Okay, uh, would pretty much died destitute and American. Uh, uh, American Providence, Rhode Island, where Providence, he lived in Providence, Rhode Island for asterisk his whole life. Mm-hmm. He did have a brief stint living in New York with his one-time wife Sonia Green. Uh, I think for about maybe less than two years, and what they unhappily she divorced. She, she was a, also an author. Okay, and uh, she actually collaborated. One of my favorite stories is a, a secret collaboration with her, and I think her influences give it a lot more humanity than most of his other stories. Because there's some other, there's some kind of themes in that story. It's called the which horror one? at Martin's Beach. The horror at Martin's horror Beach. Horror at Martin's Beach, which I can, uh, I'll just summarize quickly here, just because I, I love that story. I think it is a, kind of a great Lovecraft story. Uh, um, it's very, uh, it's actually very Jaws. Oh, really? It's uh, so imagine it's kind of like an Amity Island. It's a, it's a lovely. It sort of takes place in a windswept, fun, very ritzy. Uh, you know, beach community. Vacation destination. Vacation destination. There's a little bit of exposition up top that I don't think is really the core of it about how uh, basically a, a fisherman brings up this weird kind of eel thing. Sure. And it's got that great trope of like, uh, a doctor examined it and then says like, well, wait a minute. This thing is as longer. It's four times the size <laughs> of the boat. It's a baby. <gasps> Which dun, is great. Dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So they drag that thing up. Yep. Uh, cut to uh, a really ritzy you can imagine just kind of like on a beach bluff restaurant black tie lots of white folks dining having a good time it's a saturday night then all of a sudden out of the distance you hear screaming very much like the opening of jaws where it's clearly a woman drowning screaming so the diner's like whoa whoa, whoa." Uh, lifeguard is called down they rush down to the beach you can see it's because it's pitch black at night you can see there's sort of a thrushing in the surf right they you know do the toss they try to bring it out they finally are able to snag it and then you got kind of two burly lifeguard guys. You imagine them in kind of the 1920 striped uh, right. outfits. They start dragging in, but they're being kind of pulled out. They're like, oh. So then all of a sudden, all the kind of men in their tuxedos, and they grab the rope as well. Right. There's like 15 guys on this line, but it's just kind of dragging, dragging, dragging. All of a sudden, they realize for some reason, psychologically, or just some sort of telekinetic force is beholding them to the rope. And now that rope... Oh, like a fishing line in. is reeling them in. And it's this sort of horrible, detailed of 
you know, it's drowning is the worst when it's, uh, you know, in shallow, you know, you can imagine like, you never, uh, like remember, did you see Dunkirk? No. Or anyway, so anyway, inch by inch, <laughs> these people being dragged in and the rest of the crowd is just silent as these strong men are straining against this line are just dragged in to the surf. So the women and, and children and the wait staff are just sort of watching this happen. They're just watching this happen. No I love one the idea a, of the wait staff. Yeah, no one lifts a finger. And <laughs> They're that's, like, no, yeah. my side work is done. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and I'm that's the end of the story. <laughs> and that's the end of the story? That's the end of the story. That we is... Never really figure out what was that entity we are assuming because we're maybe connecting dots of like is that the mother taking the mother fish taking revenge on mm-hmm. the humans that took her baby right right who can say we cannot of, who can say so that was that's a that's gonna that's a quick the, synopsis of, 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 of the one of martin's speech and that martin was Beach. and that was written in like the 20s or? that would have been written uh most likely in probably i think he lived in new york in the mid 20s okay probably okay. like 28 or so again probably got that wrong right but but, but fair enough when we talk so when we talk hp lovecraft huge influence of course was edgar Allan poe that's where he came into it that's actually where i came into it too in high school right i was in uh, an ap english class my, we were doing a Poe kind of module. Yeah. My, uh, you know, shout out to Mr. Williams. Uh, noticed well, that I, my teacher, uh, noticed that I was uh, really into Poe and the macabre. Yeah. And just, you know, sort of offhand said, oh, you've ever read any Lovecraft? I said like, oh, I'd heard the name, but never. Right. And so he actually lent me his personal anthology, which had wow. a couple of the heavy hitter stories, devoured that, uh, devoured a lot of the other stories online because they're a public domain. Right. And uh, just kept reading. And then uh, I have uh, I went to Necronomicon two years ago, which is a uh, Necronomicon yep. is the book that's in the Evil stories. Dead. Yes, and um, but he invented the word Necronomicon. He did, and the Necronomicon is supposed to be a book so evil that once you read it, you you go mad or something. Exactly. Right? So okay, in the universe, and this is kind of really. Uh, I think maybe my thesis statement throughout this conversation yes. is Lovecraft, the reason why he's so beloved these days is he really was ahead of his time in a lot of ways, uh, particularly in creating a shared universe where okay. uh, we, we talk all about shared universes now. Right, right. Uh, but what's great everybody is... Everybody wants there to be... Everyone wants the, one. The, the money, the, if, the, if they interact... Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> That's where it comes in. I'm sure there's going to be a Lovecraft shared universe. I, I've always thought it'd be fun to do like a Shakespeare in love, but Lovecraft... Oh, where, there you go. You know, it's the author and he's sure. in, being influenced by real life things. Um, but what's great is, so like you said with the Necronomicon, uh, that is uh, something that it's an artifact that appears in a lot of his stories. Okay. Um, and it's, you know, supposed to be a book that was written by uh, a mad Arab named Abdul al-Hazred, mm-hmm. who then found it. By, he's transcribed it based on hieroglyphics in a lost city. And it's stuff that if you open it, if you read it, bad stuff happens and you don't want to deal with that. Okay. So Abdul... Finds the mm-hmm. f- finds the book. Yep. Translates it mm-hmm. using his powers of hieroglyphic knowledge, mm-hmm. which um, I think were just they they the Rosetta Stone. I think was I don't know when it was discovered, mm-hmm. but I think it was it was a it was very popular. Absolutely. And um, so the he unlocks that, and then he goes mad, mm-hmm. and then it it it. And then it goes. The book goes away. It gets it gets lost, and, but then it gets kind of like Jumanji. Exactly, it just keeps coming mm-hmm. up. <laughs> okay. And so uh, another big part of Lovecraft, uh, sort of the mythos that we call it, is uh, a lot of the secret knowledge being passed down through hidden cults that oh, right, exist right. in the fringes Hellboy. of society, yeah. but also 
uh, will sort of seep in kind of like Illuminati to the highest reaches of power. Right. And then they won't know that they're actually under the control of a demon. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure, this is this is some this is, some, <laughs> this is a rich, rich. I it's see spooky. why. Yeah, because it's not only it's been co-opted mm-hmm. at every level. Yes. Like you could tell that. I think everyone is kind of some parts of every everyone has read this. Absolutely. And in that's our current. And that's the cool thing. If you are someone who's into uh, if you're into tabletop role playing, if you're into video games, if you're into horror movies, particularly right. uh, if you're a fan of uh, John Carpenter, uh, right. probably uh, John Carpenter's The Thing would be one of the more direct adaptations of or a Lovecraftian story, I would okay. say. Uh, like you know. I know that Gary Gygax clearly mm-hmm. um, was Tolkien and and see because because Poe I read a little bit of Poe mm-hmm. uh, and like you say I have mm-hmm. read it's, a it's little a good bit time. of everything and um, but the Poe stuff was super creepy mm-hmm. and I was like oh I'm good with just <laughs> these two and never reading anything else and like I don't know how much Poe there is how much Poe is there there's a I mean he also had a short life yeah but uh, he was pretty prolific oh was he yeah so um, some of my favorites are House of the Fall or Fall of the House of Usher he does be a more big one. novellas and, and, and short stories right he's also big into the short fiction which right. I think is uh, Lovecraft all mostly short fiction? Uh, pretty much everything you wrote was short fiction. There's okay. only one novel which was towards the end of his life, which is At the Mountains of Madness. Okay. Which uh, jo- uh, the thing actually draws a lot of inspiration from because it's also about an Antarctic expedition okay. that goes wrong. And then there's also sort of shape-shifting monsters. Right, right. I always think that um, they're... Uh, like I, I remember when I was a kid, I used to watch a terrible cartoon mm-hmm. about Tarzan. And uh, it was, there was always sort of, and looking back on it, there was like a Lovecraftian impulse. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, it's because he was in the jungle. Mm -hmm. And in the jungle, you don't know what's in there. Mm -hmm. It could be anything. It's like the ocean. Exactly. That fear of the unknown. And again, why we see so much kind of of tentacle imagery in some of Lovecraft's monsters really does come from, you know, he had a fascination with the ocean. And that's, you know, it's, there's no bigger unknown second only to space. So he kind of transposed ocean iconography into space and the sort of darkness between stars. Right. Oh, did he do space? He did space. He did. I did not know he did space. He did I sp- thought he mostly did the ocean. And I think, uh, and here's kind of a cool thing here when we talk about sort of where the Lovecraft DNA has seeped in. Yeah. Obviously, Stephen King would probably be the most popular, you know, uh, huge uh, fan. Uh, he's written several forwards to different anthology. Oh, okay. Counts among one of his largest influences. Uh, Neil Gaiman, Alan Moore, uh, Junji Ito, if you're familiar with that. Uh, his, he's a Japanese uh, artist who does really terrifying graphic novels. Right, right. Oh, I think I've avoided those for yeah. decades. And here's, yeah. okay, and here's the cool thing about Lovecraft that uh, I want to give him a lot of props for just okay. as a human. Because there's not a lot of things politically that I'll give him props for. Right. But I will give him a lot of props for, unlike other people who have found success, Yeah. Uh, he did not... Uh, he actually took a real interest in the next generation of writers, particularly oh. uh, he had massive correspondences with, uh, you know, different writers of his time, but also he accepted a lot of fan letters and would often respond personally. And one, here's a really cool yeah. uh, kind of connection. Uh, one of his most uh, prolific correspondence was with Robert Block. Robert Block sort of wrote him, I think, at age 13 or so, right. having uh, just saying like, hey, my name is Robert Block. Mr. Lovecraft, I really liked your story. I do some writing too, and so rather than, you know, the typical answer would be like, "Hey, thanks so much, good young luck. sir. Keep good doing luck. It. Hey, cool." 
Lovecraft said, like, that's really cool. If you're interested, feel free to, like, send me some, like, notes on stories. I'd love to see what you're doing. What? Yeah. He sent me notes on stories. And so they start this correspondence where Robert Block, and here's, this is the kicker, Robert Block goes on later in life in the 1950s. He writes the novel Psycho. Oh, my God. So, which then, of course, picked up by Hitchcock, which then, of course, informs the slasher movies and horror movies going, you know, going at infinity. Uh, and so it's the idea that he kind of like corresponds with this young man in, you know, who doesn't, I don't think Robert Block had a great home life. So it's kind yeah. of a little bit of father figure sort of idea. And now he, uh, he keeps writing, he's going on it. He's getting this sort of direct feedback mm-hmm. and it becomes a really prolific writer. Another Robert Block story that I would recommend to your listeners. Uh, besides is, uh, Psycho? Besides, well, Psycho... I think if you watch the movie, you're fine. Okay. It's fine. Uh, uh, is, uh, and this one's a short story, is Notebook Found in a Deserted House. That was written in 1951 by Robert Block. Uh, and what's really cool about that story, it's about a young boy describing, uh, basically it's a young kind of boy who's living in the woods. He's yeah. been abandoned. And he's describing kind of these creatures that seem, and spirits that seem to want to get him, that are like kind of like Ents. Okay. Kind of like it's really, what's great is it's written from the perspective of a eight-year-old who probably has no education, so okay. it's very simple. But it's uh, one story that is pointed to again and again as popularizing found fiction. Okay. So Blair Witch really—you can draw a straight line from Blair Witch to Notebook and uh, Found in an Abandoned House. Ah, there we go. So again, we're seeing this echoes of, and you, you want, and I know you're a big Tolkien yep. fan, so you want to find the Tolkien. Uh, of course, the Tolkien sure. connection is, of course, Tolkien's writing. Uh, you know, uh, through the First World War, uh, most you know books. Wait, they're writing at the same time. They're writing at the same time, uh, but what, they don't. I don't think they never they never directly corresponded. But uh, you have uh, one of probably. Uh, uh, Lovecraft's BFF was uh, <laughs> Robert E. Howard. Okay. Robert E. Howard, author of the Conan series and those pulp. I and was so, going to mention, yeah. And we know that with uh, with Middle Earth is kind of, uh, Tolkien took a lot of Arthurian legend, but he yep. also took a lot of kind of Conan and that high fantasy too, especially with that different races coming together and dwarves. So right. there's definitely, and there's some, so there's some Howard DNA and there's some Lovecraft DNA in that too. Interesting. So did Howard write... Um, is Howard older than than He actually than did not... Uh, they, I he believe never were aged. On the, well, no. Actually, <laughs> the thing is, one uh, thing that we point towards towards Lovecraft's end-of-life depression is Robert E. Howard did kill himself about oh. two or three years before Lovecraft died. So it was a little bit of a... Oh, like... Like a BFF Right, right. So... Thing. Yeah, because he wasn't. Um, oh, so so they were of an age almost. They were yeah, they were contemporaries. I think Howard was a bit older. Was a, okay. Yeah. So the speculation is that Tolkien read the Conan books. I think Tolkien would have been aware of the Conan Barbarian sort of mythology a bit, or that kind of seeped into some of the culture that he was maybe drawing on when he thinks about because obviously Tolkien was wide read and he well, drew from yeah, Scandinavian mythology and all yeah, sorts of stuff. The guy was a philologist or some damn thing. It's a, I yeah. mean so he's he's got all that he's got all of mm-hmm. all of ancient western stuff mm-hmm. and then he's Norse mythology obviously uh clearly is Can involved. I, only cuz yeah. I so rarely get to talk yeah. to a real Tolkien head. Yeah. I did have uh one thing that was pointed out to me that I never thought about that I just love so much it's just a, this is a tiny nugget that won't go back to Lovecraft is <laughs> so uh Saruman and Gandalf, yeah, both wizards, right? Both employ gunpowder. Gandalf threw fireworks, which he okay. uses to entertain and delight children. Right. Saruman 
through building a large you know explosive device that blows a wall and hounds right. deep. So it's sort of this idea that they are same technology, yep, different uses, right? Which I think also to me it's like it's not it's just like oh my gosh you're right and they different approaches and that's what's so great about them, right? Right. Well, yeah, and um, it's so funny about um, one of one of the best lines in the movie mm-hmm. and the movie. I have I have addressed the movie mm-hmm. uh, is uh, is I think at one point I th- if I remember correctly and I've only seen the movie like three or four times but the thing is is the I think at one point somebody asked the names of the other wizards mm-hmm. and Gandalf is like you know I can't remember yeah because of Rad because he's got Radagast mm-hmm. and the two so, blue wizards which and um, which I really can't remember in, they're not named they're not really they're I think if you can in maybe the draw yeah. if if you go deep but it's uh, and the Silmarillion I've only read once and I've tried to mm-hmm. listen to it on audio tape and it's mm-hmm. a great way to go to sleep you guys because mm-hmm. uh, it's like listening to in Genesis the uh, <laughs> oh when begat, when they named yep. oh yeah yeah it's sweet oh my god anyway but the Tolkien professor has a great series of podcasts actually about the Silmarillion mm-hmm. that is fascinating okay I'm gonna write and that down right now it's essentially eight hours and only the Silmarillion one once he starts getting into the movies uh, I love you man uh, but no. <laughs> okay, because he weeds off worse than I do. So, oh, okay. uh, but the Silmarillion series is is outstanding. One to be. Okay, yeah. I will put that. So, Tolkien. Uh, Prof. Returning to Lovecraft. Yes. Uh, so, I think one. You know, so, we hear these sort of tropes that are uh, again and again. I think you you touch on a few of them, which is coming across artifacts, things that drive you insane. Right. Through the revelation. That's a big uh, thing that comes up in a lot of stories. Um, I would say. Like I don't yep. think he in, like clearly he didn't invent that, but mm-hmm. he consolidated them in a way. That that and and how many pages total do you? Th- I mean, I don't think the guy's written more than because it was all short stories. It was right? all short stories. Uh, I think uh, all told, this is where, of course, with the, there's some controversy too because there are there's the pure Lovecraft stories. There are quite a few stories he punched up okay. because as he he was always kind of trying to like you know make extra pen, money, make extra money. So he sure. actually did a lot of uh, story doctoring too. Okay, so there actually was quite a few instances of. Other pulp authors sending him something—a simple Could you kind of put like your yeah. Lovecraftian scent on this. Yeah, so there'd be yes. like a two, like they'd send him even like a, a paragraph thing, and he would run with it. He might. So there's a couple stories that aren't my favorite. Right. There's you know I have my favorites probably. Um, uh, my personal favorite yeah. is a story called Rats in the Walls. Okay. Which, oh, so and it's actually it's very much a a Poe story. It's very yeah, much it sounds like a kind Poe of aping Poe, yeah. and it's uh, you know really broad strokes. It's about a man whose son dies in the First World War, uh, and then he decides since he's got no future, uh, he's going to just basically buy a. He does some genealogy. Genealogy is another big thing in Lovecraft. People delve oh, into their family trees to their peril because right. they typically find out that they have a cursed lineage <laughs> and they're part of some kind awesome. of cult. That's big. Yeah, that's a huge thing, which you don't see. Enough of anymore. Right, I feel like twenty three and me and ancestry dot com. That ooh, and, uh, I hadn't thought about that. A horror movie like that. A horror movie, and there's something called, uh, and I've mentioned it before. It's a uh, know your roots. Uh, no, the uh, antique roadshow spinoff called Ancestry Roadshow. Oh, I it's, love that idea. There's only four to six episodes. I can't remember. And essentially, it's when there is a, a hilarious reveal. Mm-hmm. It's usually uh, one time. The the two that I can remember is the older white lady who found out that her grandmother was black, mm-hmm. and uh, the white the ZZ Top looking white dude mm-hmm. who found out that his grandfather was not black, and his black wife just looking at him going, 
are we done? <laughs> and uh, it was pretty awesome. And so I love that idea. It's just sort of the 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 you want you want so much from your ancestry. I did twenty three and me, mm-hmm. and I was raised to believe that I was a quarter Norwegian, mm-hmm. a quarter Irish, and mm-hmm. half Armenian, which informed you. As a person and just... Uh, completely. Yeah. And raised in the Armenian church, so mm-hmm. the rest of it didn't matter anyway, mm-hmm. except for that. And now I find out that I'm um, mostly uh, white. I'm like, I'm essentially half... I mean, it's very basic. Mm-hmm. I'm half white, and I'm half Mediterranean Middle Eastern. Okay. So, sort of. And and the Norwegian thing was a complete lie, oh. uh, because my grandmother was adopted by Norwegian people from Ireland to be their servant. Oh. So you're like, oh, okay, uh, old school peasant stock. I get it. It's fine, <laughs> and it doesn't matter. Uh, so, but it's, but I, I love mm-hmm. the idea that that he was like, don't, don't open that cupboard. Yeah, you open that cupboard, <laughs> and then so a lot of a lot of his protagonists, which are usually uh, kind of uh, yeah. author XBs, you know, they are they're white men who are kind of thin and more interested in reading and and looking through artifacts and books and things oh, okay. like that. So and nerds. So you see nerds. Yeah, no, it's nerds. So 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 the protagonist is usually him. Usually him. Just a sort of weedy nerd. It's same how who, Stephen by the King, way, it's, those it's guys, always writers. And, those guys yeah. age so good. Stephen oh. <laughs> King as a boy, if you met him, you'd be like, what a nerd. Mm-hmm. And now you're like, that guy's kind of hot. Yeah. For an old guy, and uh, he's making that scratch. Yeah, well, not it's not, it's not even that. It's, it's okay. not the money. It's it's the fact that that uh, all that reading and mm-hmm. all that navel gazing really makes decent men. Thank you. It's oh, oh thank, no. I <laughs> are you looking forward to it? Well, no. I I, I oftentimes uh, <laughs> remark like I do have a girlfriend, love mm-hmm. her very much. Sure. Uh, I would like to be fitter for sure. her. But here's the thing: there's a diminishing returns. If you have the, you know, your abs are like mm-hmm. rock hard. That's a lot of hours in the gym. That's a lot of hours you're not reading, pod, listening to podcasts, absorbing things that might make you more interesting at cocktail parties. Right. Yeah. M- more fun to. It's uh, as as I've I've said it before. Andy Ashcraft is better looking than I need. Oh. And uh, he's uh, he's great. Anyway, so so uh, I wanted protagonist. to protagonist. We we covered that. Um, I want to say a big thing about Lovecraft is. And because we're leading up to the Cthulhu conversation, because he happens to be, so for whatever reason, that's a monster that has kind of been risen in popular culture. Yeah. Um, what's brilliant about the Call of Cthulhu, which is the story that that uh, codified that monster, is oh, that's the actual name that's the name of, of the of the, short, of the story. short story. It's the Call of Cthulhu, and really broad strokes, it's about a uh, a guy whose uncle dies. Okay. He goes through, and his uncle... He goes you know, through his stuff. goes through his stuff, he, despite his uncle's in his will saying, as soon as you get my stuff, burn it. Don't go through my stuff. Don't go, like, burn all my papers, <laughs> burn everything in this trunk, which is full of papers and letters. Yep. Do not go through it. It is then, he doesn't. So now it's the, <laughs> it's the nephew going through the letters one by one. And what's great about the story is it's not a straight narrative or a, a linear narrative. It is one letter... Or pieces of letter, or after another, and then as you do it, I really think um, I've heard described as writing in the negative space, where sort of like painting in the negative space, where you do a brushstroke here, a brushstroke here, a brushstroke here. You're not directly painting Cthulhu, but then as it, all these different disparate pieces come together from different parts of the world. This image of what lies at the center, so which you is paint this, around it to create like a triangle, let's say triangle, and the triangle pops out at you exactly. And then so with the reader. You're filling in the uh, the blanks in that unknown, and it gets scarier and scarier the deeper it goes. And you realize, oh man, this is a big deal. Because I right now I'll 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 right. you know, throw the mystery. I'll explain what Cthulhu is. 
Uh, it's not going to be as effective. But Cthulhu, if we're going to really just break it down, is uh, is a entity, right? Probably about the size and temperament of Godzilla. Okay, that is in a kind of Atlantis sort of city. Deep, deep in the ocean. It okay. didn't always be in the ocean. Actually, sank into the ocean, and he's there, kind of lying dormant mm-hmm. until such a time as that city rises back up. Ah, and he is telepathically reaching out to people to try to hasten that rise, so that he, because he's just he's super big. And again, right. going back to that idea of like, oh, this is just a baby. He is merely the priest and the gatekeeper of what lies beyond, which is even more massive. And horrifying than he is. And he is pretty... Oh, my God. He's bad. And he's, again, he's sort of like a right. Godzilla who has, you know, a massive sort of squiddy face. Yep. You know, flat and, you know, horrible claws. I've, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've seen I've He's seen that them. guy. So, Call of Cthulhu is essentially the letters call him? The... Um, He's and it's it's sort of this Spoiler uncle alert from 1925. Yeah, this uncle sort of piecing together all these things because it's sort of one is a account of a a detective in Louisiana who breaks up a cult that's worshiping in the bayous, and there's sort of oh, a Cthulhu cult that's worshiping right. him and his experiences with that. And another one is a series of interviews where he is interviewing painters and poets and artists because for some reason people who are more creatively sensitive are more tuned in to these sort of telepathic waves that Cthulhu is sending out okay. to kind of do that and describing these horrifying dreams. I would like mm-hmm. to blame H.P. Lovecraft <laughs> for every mystery TV show that has uh, a voodoo priest. Yep. Uh, Big Bones, into voodoo and voodoo. Yep. Castle, everybody just dashes off to New Orleans and then all of a sudden there's a CSI mm-hmm. and there is uh, a lady with dreadlocks who uh, knows about voodoo and tries to explain that it's actually a religion that doesn't have anything to do with sticking pins and people but mm-hmm. then pins are being stuck into people mm-hmm. so uh let's blame him for that he played with that yeah so um mm-hmm. wait to go yes. back to something else that you said yes. that i was gonna so he gave so he responded to robert block yes and he responded to other uh, other writers mm-hmm. were less successful but just nicely yeah you know was just there for the next generation i but horribly political yes uh, his politics and his yes. his, his attitude toward mm-hmm. people uh which I think we could have called that. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk about the call of Lovecraft. Uh, is we could have looked at some of his work and said that guy's not a people person. He's not, and that's the thing is he spent most of his life in his home, which was uh, he was raised by his aunts, uh, who were were not too kind to him. And if you kind of just picture, like he had a nice inheritance, which he was able to kind of Trust just live off kinda? of, because okay. he had he had his father, who I believe died of syphilis. His mother, I believe, was taken to I'm sorry to laugh uh, at the institution. I'm an asshole. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so he and was raised by, I think, a grandmother and uh, a pretty disciplinarian aunt okay. who kind of, I think, put a lot of uh, hypochondria into him. Ah. So he was an indoor person. Ah. Uh, but he obviously was not antisocial because he right, was... Right, because he wanted it. He, I mean, what he wrote, uh, he, he kind of like ranks up there with like a Thomas Aquinas of just like how much letters and correspondence he produced throughout his life he was oh, writing really? constantly to the point where kind of uh, towards the end of his life he would so, he was kind of so penny pinching yeah he sometimes would forego a meal that day because he was also like a big budgeter yeah. to pay for postage uh, he would say i'm gonna skip dinner because you know i can I do that wanna, i can I do a couple i can get a couple more postage so out he was there. He, he was an indoor guy he was an indoor so, guy mostly wrote, stayed in providence wrote like, but but had like correspond correspondence mm-hmm. with a variety of human humanity absolutely so i was gonna say mostly young white guys i would say but 
Really? Yeah, he, white, okay. he liked white people a lot. Well, that's weird. We can talk about yeah. that in a second because I was going to say another guy who has really shitty politics mm-hmm. but gives back to the next generation is Orson Scott Card. Yes. And Orson's- oh yeah, the oh, yeah the uh, anti-gay stuff. Yeah, know. he's got some. He's got enormous. But then when you read his books, you're like, but you like people. Like mm-hmm. and you want people to be good to each other. There's there's but an optimistic reason, humanity in that too. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of opt I mean, his stuff has a lot more sort of like um and, and it's it has some of the best parts of what I think of as the best part and nobody asked. That's the good that's the important <laughs> thing. Uh the best parts of Mormonism in it, mm-hmm. which is where where it's uh sort of a community based mm-hmm. and take care of each other and um and also um Admit your faults and be sort of available for recompense mm-hmm. to make amends and to fix shit that you've done wrong. Mm-hmm. And but on the other side, he's so afraid of his own dick for some reason uh, that he says some sort of problem with mm-hmm. homosexuality. So, um, but he has created these young uh, science fiction groups mm-hmm. for the next generation. And has funded, which is wonderful, which is amazing, yeah. and like he's created guys like, um, and he hasn't created them; they're entities under them. I mean, they do their own work, but like, um, uh, is it Brian Sanderson? Whatever he wrote, Elantris. He mm-hmm. wrote the Mistborn series. Okay, and uh, they're he's a wonderful author, mm-hmm. and so. Um, so I'll give him props for that mm-hmm. and never watch an interview with him. So that's and that's because so, I mean, speaking as someone you know who's a who's a stand up, there is no. There's no adrenaline shot that beats if you happen to be on a show with someone you respect and is a comedian who's far who's a professional who's farther along. Right. Them just giving you like, hey, good set. Mm-hmm. Now that that is you that, can burn that in your engine for a while. Yeah. So the idea, or yeah, the opposite <laughs> when they don't know who the fuck you are and you're ignored. Who's the guy who wrote Fight Club? Oh, uh, Chuck Palahniuk. Right. So uh, I am not. I'm not a fan. Mm-hmm. I'm not a, not a not fan either. Mm-hmm. I just I literally. I saw the movie, yeah, and I didn't get until like the sec. I was, I'm, I'm like, uh, I never get it. Mm-hmm. I never get anything until the second drop. Mm-hmm. Like you have to drop both shoes and then go. Hey, Jackie, that guy was a ghost the whole time. Oh, was he? <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> the uh, so I met the whatever that guy mm-hmm. and uh, the Fight Club guy, and I was like, oh, I bet you he'd be fascinating to talk to because he has that 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 Fight Club attitude. Mm-hmm. He's that. And I thought. This will be great. We're sitting in the green room together. We're doing mm-hmm. a show together. And so I'm like, hi, it's nice to meet you. It's uh, uh, something about his work. And he mm-hmm. goes, he just, he looks past me and he goes, is there wine? And I'm like, mm. oh, well, oh, darn. I understand there is some wine <laughs> in the fridge. Go for it, man. But uh, other, other situations where you're just like, uh, Dennis Miller, who is who lost his tiny lizard mind as mm-hmm. well recently. Yeah, but, no, I don't know, it feels like last decade or so. Yeah, yeah. So as I opened for him accidentally, he didn't have an opener. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's walking by me, and uh, he's like, "You're really funny." Has Jay seen you? And I said, "Jay who?" And he goes, <laughs> "Leno." And I was like, "Oh no, no, he doesn't know who I am." Anyway, so <laughs> and. I don't know why uh, I had to tell those two stories, but I did. And now, H.P. Lovecraft, uh, did you uh, – so when you get to meet somebody who mm-hmm. you were you were telling a story because uh, it's your hour. No, I was going to say uh, – no, I think this is a good uh, segue into a conversation that I was hoping to have with you because I think yeah. it's very timely, which is you brought up Orson Scott Card. Uh, I think when you read Lovecraft in a modern context, he was someone who was uh, – even for his time – 
you know, we're talking about the turn of the 20th century, definitely in the United States, uh, not uh, not very inviting to immigrants, as opposed to now. Uh, uh, wait, so e- he even, even for his he time, was pretty he bad. was a horrible Horrible racist. In in when we we're drawing this not from his actions, he was not you know a member of the Ku Klux Klan. He was not. Oh, he was not. No, no, no. Okay. No. Um, uh, he uh, but through his writings, like and through uh, two his one poem in particular. Oh, Essentially, boy, his bad. depictions of of, of there's not, humanity. Well, well, there's not too many depictions of people who aren't white in his stories, and those who are typically are uh, kind of raving uh, cult savages worshiping ah. at an altar of depravity. Okay. There's a couple of those. Some of those depictions in Call of Cthulhu of sort of these swamp people who are descendants of, uh, I think they're Lashif Le- or the, the a pirate captain oh, okay. kind of thing in, in the south that people can draw lineage from. Ah. That was pretty problematic. Uh, one short story in particular, which is called The Street, uh, runs. It feels like one of the, it feels like when um, you know when like some of the conservative commentators write kids books and they're like. Because the whole thing is like the story is about like there once was this street and it was a great street and everyone got along and then these people came in and they started ah. ruining the street. It's like okay, so this is there's not even one. It's just one right, metaphor. You're not about, even, yeah, yeah. It's like the, America the was great. Very... We were all Anglo-Saxon. We got along and then this happened and this happened. These people came in. You right. know those people and it's like oh man, HP. Right. So you just want to go, hey, crazy old guy. And then they always say, someone just said this to me yesterday. They said, uh. That's just cranky old white dudes. They're going to die. Don't worry. And I was like, you know, I think my parents said that. I saw that. About their generation. They're yeah. like, don't worry about it. They'll die. And I'm like, they keep making new idiots. They keep coming. I don't know what is going on. But um, So the question being is, yeah. you know, this is not, H.P. Lovecraft is not, is definitely not the most problematic author. Or he's not the most problematic person you can, you can, you can like the art of difference being right. is you know um when we talk about people today that are problematic for lots of different reasons right uh, there's a litany it, there's oh. from polanski to mm-hmm. woody allen to bill cosby to i will you know. say asterisk lovecraft is long dead yes uh he has no heirs there's no lovecraft uh there's no lovecraft <laughs> it died out with him man. there's no lovecraft estate he, right. there is all of his stories are in the public domain oh interesting. so there is no so we're taking out the whole i'm not you know vote with your dollar kind of oh, right. argument. Right, That's right. gone. Public domain. Public domain. So now the argument is, is like, can you enjoy these stories knowing that the person who penned them it was pretty bad in terms of his thoughts about where well, white people and other rankings of people and you can do the same thing with the Bible. Mm-hmm. You can do the same thing with the, the AA book. Uh, if you, the guys who founded uh, Alcoholics Anonymous mm-hmm. were, um, not great. Oh yeah. Oh, they're, they're real puritanical and odd, but but womanizers. Oh, I see. Like uh, like literally, uh, the guy Bill who founded it and his wife Lois, um, he cheated on her forever, mm-hmm. and sh- and didn't let her write the chapter in the book called "To the Wives." And well, um, how would you how would you trust and, her with such a? <laughs> why would you trust it's her? Not with her something? wheelhouse. It's a. Turns out she lived through it, but nope, he's mm-hmm. going to write it, and so she created Al-Anon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was like, uh, and so, but I mean, what they say about all of those books or saying, what sane people say Mm -hmm. about books like the Bible Mm -hmm. or the, or the Alcoholics Anonymous literature or whatever is take what you like, Mm -hmm. leave the rest. And like, I've been thinking recently about Woody Allen movies Mm -hmm. and how much I love them, Mm -hmm. but I haven't been able to watch one since Hannah and her sisters, Mm -hmm. uh, which was, he's pretty much yearly at this point. 
Right. He's, right? he's mean, cranking them out. Yeah. And Hannah and her sisters was probably 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think he's been married to his stepdaughter for about 20 years. I mean, it's not like they haven't been together for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's just he creeps me out because he raised her. It's yes. not like a romance novel where he went away for 15 years and mm-hmm. she was nine and mm-hmm. then she was 25. Mm-hmm. He was there when she was 15 and mm-hmm. he was helping her with her homework and she was his daughter. And he was there in 16. He was there in 17 when she was still his daughter and he was talking to her about colleges. Mm-hmm. And then 18, he was like, is she my daughter? Mm-hmm. And 19, she's not my daughter. We're yeah. getting married. And I'm fucking that. And you're like, you're a creep. Yeah. Uh, so that's where it gets weird for yep. me. It doesn't feel like a romance. <laughs> it doesn't feel romantic at all. Absolutely. But I was thinking about if you could take his scripts mm-hmm. and recast them. I mean, literally remake them. First of all, it would drive him nuts. Yeah. Uh, he would hate that. And second of all, I might like those movies again. So you, you mean he maybe he's a... Woody Allen might have 10 more years left. Oh, to live? Live. Um, but uh, I would want to do it while he was alive to I drive see. him nuts. Okay. I would want Josh Gondelman uh, to play Woody Allen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anybody, really. I don't care. I like Josh Gondelman. Because I imagine um, we're, the Woody Allen conversation is going to happen uh, definitely 60 years from now. There will be film geeks who will bandy this back about. You know, right. Sure. And th- yeah. they will talk about you know, And the they'll viability. rank his movies and this and that. Yeah. Right. And they'll say, can you enjoy a Woody Allen movie? Mm-hmm. And uh, Andy Kindler will say, Yes, yes, you can, <laughs> and you're like, fair enough, okay, it's fine, but because um, I here's and here's yeah. one quote that I really want to pull out there. It's Please. from Alan Moore. He wrote uh, a foreword to the annotated Lovecraft, which came out in 2014. And uh, Alan Moore is V for Vendetta. V for Vendetta. Uh, Watchmen. I mean, he people should know that yeah. he is nuts, but he's nuts, uh, but he's he also great. He can craft worlds like yes. nobody's business, and we owe him a lot for people who are into that. Uh, he wrote, and I'll kind of I'll sort of breeze through this. It's a little, it's not. Not quite a paragraph, but I think it really sums up a lot of stuff we were talking about and sort of my feelings on this. So this is on his kind of racism. Okay. In this light, it is possible to perceive Howard Lovecraft as an almost unbearably sensitive barometer of American dread. Far from outlandish eccentricities, the fears that generated Lovecraft's stories and opinions were precisely those of the white, middle-class, heterosexual, Protestant-descended males who were the most threatened by the shifting power relationships and values of the modern world. Feels like we could... Yeah, try, yeah, it speaks to us as, mm-hmm. as, as we sit here. And though he may have regarded himself in accordance with the view held of him by the readership and even those that knew him personally as the embodiment of his most emblematic fable, The Outsider... Which we can touch on in a second. Oh, right, right. The outsider I, I'm is. I'm sure a, he thought of himself as an outsider because he lived his life. Mm-hmm. He outsider, was in his fishbowl. Absolutely. The outsider, really quickly, is a really simple story. Uh, a guy wakes up seemingly from a nap, feels like, where am I? What am I doing? Wanders down the hill, goes, uh, sees a party uh, going on, walks into the party. Everyone freaks out, runs. He turns to a window and then gasps and is like, there's a monster there, only to realize, no, he's a zombie. Oh, okay. And everyone is reacting to him. It's something we've seen before, but that's kind of where we're coming. That's the context. Oh, fair enough. In his frights and panics, he reveals himself as an almost unheard of fluke statistical phenomenon. The absolutely average man, an entrenched social insider, unnerved by new and alien influences from without. This, it might be suggested, is the underlying reason for our ongoing absorption in his work, a fascination that seems only to increase as Lovecraft and his times recede into the past. No. Mm. In H.P. Lovecraft's tale, <laughs> we are afforded an oblique and yet unsettling perceptive view into the haunted origins of the fraught modern world and its attendant mindset that we presently inhabit. 
coded in an alphabet of monsters, Lovecraft's writings offer a potential key to the understanding our current dilemma, although crucial to this that they are understood in the full context of the place and times from which they are blossomed. Uh, first of all, I enjoy that we know exactly where the quote was coming because you yep. had the quote voice, mm-hmm. well played. Uh, second of all, um, it got a little long-winded, but that's yep. Alan Moore for that's you. That's Alan Moore. And, um, and he's – and this is – I would say this is that that has been the defense of straight white people forever. Yeah. Which is you know where they're coming from. They're mm-hmm. people too. And mm-hmm. you're like, yes, but the awareness of other people's experience – from a place of privilege is the only, I mean, it's only now and I'm 50. Mm-hmm. So it's the, it's the only now that I can actually try to, um, it's, it's not empathy. Mm-hmm. It's literally a revelation of like an onion level of like something was peeled away. And I was like, Oh shit. Mm-hmm. Kind of revelation of mm-hmm. my own racism and my own expectations, because I have been the happiest of all liberals. You know, knowing, and I don't have, I genuinely don't think I have a lot of white guilt. Mm -hmm. What I feel like is I have white responsibility Mm -hmm. to getting out of the way. And to do that, I heard somebody speak, and I think it was the guy who's writing Black Panther. Mm -hmm. He is more famous for other things. His last name is Coates, C-O-A-T-E-S. Tanahasi Coates. Yes. And uh, he is. I think a regular contributor to The Atlantic, I believe. Yes. Or other publications. He's got a PhD. The guy has books. He's smart. Yeah. The guy's, uh, but he also wrote the Black Panther comic books I'm reading. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so uh, he. uh, Great range. Great. Real nice range. Yeah. Real nice range. But he was talking about how the greatest problem is for. And we can have this conversation because we're both sitting here from a place of white privilege. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's, but he was saying that the hardest part was to, to choose to, to give up some of that privilege mm-hmm. to share it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something you learn in when you're a tiny child mm-hmm. to share. And then you're raised in a capitalist society that tells you that, no, you got to get yours. And then, mm-hmm. but you're also, but you have that ingrained in you, that, that socialism of being foreign preschool, if, mm-hmm. if such a thing uh, could be said. And, but to, to consciously shut up in a, in, when I'm in a room with women of color mm-hmm. trying to have a conversation <laughs> is – because I always have an opinion because I'm a comic. Mm-hmm. Whenever they ask a comic, like they keep asking like uh, Seinfeld and Chris Rock about college gigs. Yeah. And you're like, mm, I don't, they don't, it's not a perspective. It's not now, not you ask them 25 years ago about yeah. college gigs. Cause they're also, I mean, is it, is it a racial perspective or is it them being kind of older dudes who are, it's, are doing their thing? They're, gajillionaires yeah and they don't have to do those gigs anymore and so they don't have the right perspective to even answer the damn mm-hmm. question but if you ask me about them i don't do colleges i would have an opinion absolutely guess what uh i'm gonna have an opinion about everything because i'm a comic i'm gonna mm-hmm. try to riff on it i'm gonna try to answer it and there's no so i mean this alan alan moore i like alan moore mm-hmm. I, I think i think I've always liked Alan Moore. I always think he's the guy that Harlan Ellison has always tried to be. Mm-hmm. And because um, he's kind of the real deal. Oh, yeah. He lives it. He lives it. And th- I'm sure he's irritating as all hell with his 
I don't want to be on the credits. <laughs> and you're like, really? Do your children not want residuals? Mm-hmm. They do. They do want residuals. But, okay. And, um, but I, I, I don't think, I think he's, he's got a unique perspective because he's mm-hmm. British mm-hmm. and he's looking at the American, ex- the American experiment from there. Mm-hmm. And he can also see that he's, an old dead white guy, H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah, yeah. Who was very old, very a, bit dead. A, a bit of a shut-in. Oh, yeah. And um, so, yeah, I think that he's right, mm-hmm. but he's also, it's something that we have to address as a not good enough excuse. I agree. And I think one thing I took away from this is perhaps there is value because a big theme of Lovecraft's story is this sort of existential dread that you are... You are an island of humanity, and I, mean, I think you're right. I and think dark, it, it and feels darkness, like- and for whatever kind of you want to do this, there are unknowable, seemingly strange darkness that exists all around you that it's closing in. Beautifully on you. drawn, beautifully drawn, and he does that, and so that's kind of the feeling I think that someone who is deeply xenophobic. Yeah. come from and you could write those stories you could be like a, a shitty guy who just takes it to the real world and says like well we need to fight back against that or you could therapeutically weave that into your writing and you write about these horrific monsters and cults that are seemingly all around you and nowhere at once that are coming to get you have you read the mike mignola no i've not read that one um sorry i popped the yeah i'm gonna probably have yeah um so Mike Mignola writes uh, BPRD mm-hmm. and Hellboy, and mm. um, a lot. He he writes it's Lord Baltimore. Okay. He's got a lot of um, they're comics mm-hmm. and they're graphic novels, and they're all from a clearly Cthulhu, uh, Lovecraftian influenced world. But mm-hmm. he creates these worlds where the monsters are on both sides, mm. and the monsters Hellboy is. A demon sent to anticipate the um, apocalypse. Mm-hmm. But because he's a baby, and the scientist kind of is like, he's just a baby. Let's raise him. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so he becomes, and it's nature versus nurture. Or he's right? a creature in both worlds. Yes. Yeah, okay. And so, and, um, but it's, it's, it's a way that you can, you can extrapolate from Lovecraft mm-hmm. and create a, uh, nature versus nurture kind of thing where you're like, ah, you just raise him right. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. I know he's drawn to stick his giant fist of a thing into the key and open up the minions of hell. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Sandman also does that. Yep. G- Gaiman does that mm-hmm. where he takes, he takes the, the, the xenophobia and he takes the, the fear of death mm-hmm. and the fear of the other. The fear of death in the Sandman is so fascinating because she's like, yeah, no, I'm death. It's going to be, it's fine. Don't mm-hmm. sweat it. And, uh, and she's kind of a punk rock goth mm-hmm. kind of chick. And, um, just kind of relatively just mellow and cool and also, uh, just exhausted. <laughs> right? I mean, she's, she's always working. Right. She's working mm-hmm. and she's just like, she's like, no, I've heard it. I've, no, I've, I, I know you don't want to go. Anyway, uh, we gotta. No, we gotta go. So. Anyway, <laughs> I love that. I don't know if you've read Sandman. I've read excerpts. I need to. I've I've been meaning to bite. I mean, it's a big bite. Well, it's seventy five, and Lucifer is the spinoff written mm-hmm. by Brian K. Vaughn, I think. Okay, and um, and his his story is Lucifer, and the and I've and I've described it before, but the the basic thing is that Lucifer feels like he was set up by God. 
Because mm-hmm. he didn't, because God has all these plans. Mm-hmm. And Lucifer's like, well, what if I don't want to do that? And then he's like, well, you're banished. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, all right, well, I'm going to be that guy then. And then he makes hell. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't make hell. People make hell. Mm. And people make their own hell. And he's like, yeah, you can come in here and beat yourself to death. Go ahead. Forever. <laughs> I like that. So he is the embodiment of ultimate freedom and hands-off parenting. Right. He's just saying, no, do your thing. Do your thing. Yeah. And in Sandman, he gives the keys to hell to sit to the Sandman mm-hmm. to dream, and um, and then he weeds off. He's gone, mm-hmm. and he he pops up a couple more times. But Lucifer is the spinoff that I believe Brian K. Vaughn did, and mm-hmm. um, there's a, a great scene. It was a terrible Netflix show, <laughs> but there's a great scene where he's sitting on the beach, the like the day after having like a glass of wine or a martini or something in Los Angeles. He's mm-hmm. opened up a jazz club mm-hmm. and he's, and he's looking at the sunset and he goes, all right, you had some good ideas. <laughs> and, but the Lucifer arc is all about how he's trying to get away from God's ineffable plan. Mm-hmm. And God keeps showing up going, no, no, I, I called that. I knew mm. that you were going to leave hell. And Lucifer's like, I fucking hate you. Oh, it's you, a it's the classic Greek tragedy. The more you try to evade prophecy, the more you yes, fall except right for it. Yeah. It, in 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 a modern sensibility of, uh, he's just like you're such a big brother about this. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? Quit hitting yourself. And, uh, and Lucifer's like, I have got to get out of this universe. And um, so, got to get on that. Yeah, they're both they're both great and they're both collected mm-hmm. and um. Uh, the, I bought Andy the the bound leather Sandman's with extra art and stuff. Oh, the omnibus, the just, omnibuses. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't recommend them, really, because they're really hard to read because they're unwieldy large. I see. So you kind of have to. I would go with the regular trade size, okay. if you want to read it, because. Um, Do you recommend? binging it or would you recommend doing it piecemeal as it because it is there's deeper really meaty ideas on it so maybe right i finish mean, one and just say like oh i'm gonna think about the concept of eternity and, da, 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 and this. Right. yeah i would recommend uh i know that i i binged on it and mm-hmm. i could i could reread it it's sort of what i was talking about on the last episode or the next episode i guess in this case mm-hmm. um about I've told people to read the Lord of the Rings and they're like, I can't read it. The, the poems kill me. And I'm songs. like, don't, don't read the poems. Yeah. Just skim and then come back to them the next time you read them. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, and like when Andy reads, when other, some people read things, mm-hmm. they stay read, right? They read them thoroughly mm-hmm. from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's how you read. I'm pretty, I got some retention. Right. I mean, and I revisited the Lord of the Rings a few times, but right. I think it's mostly in there. But it's density. Like, they, they mm-hmm. read slow, they read carefully, they com- comprehend. For me, I like to read character dialogue aloud. Oh, do which you? Which helps a lot. Oh, that's kind of fascinating. because it's, it's cool, because then I can think about, think about the characters. Yeah. Yeah. I take my time with it. What I tend to do is I tend to read the whole book super fast mm-hmm. and then um, reread. Okay. So that I find other parts of the plot mm-hmm. in the second or third reading, and... Even crap novels. If I like a, 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 a like a Jack Reacher or mm-hmm. a whatever, whatever nonsense Louis L'Amour, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Um, I'll reread them because I will have gotten oh, good guy wins, excellent, well played. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's dialogue in it. There's good writing mm-hmm. in in the middle of it, and and great 
philosophies and, and, and things to be discovered. How would you recommend I read Cthulhu? Because I don't read Excellent. a lot of short stories. Well, I would say Cthulhu is something that is pretty accessible. So you could actually jump right into it. Uh, you can go online oh, right separate. now. Yeah, well, no, Cthulhu is, I would say, maybe less than – it's like a 40-pager. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it flows. And actually what's nice is since it is broken up into these different kind of uh, letters mm-hmm. or accounts, you could read those like chapters okay. if you want. So I'd say it's probably – I think it's like five chapters, okay. give or take. Uh, one sets up the uncle. One is about the Bayou detective. One are you is talking Call of Cthulhu or Call of Cthulhu? Call of Cthulhu is what to start with. Here's the thing: if I was going to say, yeah, uh, to, your, to your listeners, now there's uh, one thing that I really think that's very simple, and I notice that uh, you you have a background in in Christian mythology in the Bible mm-hmm. uh, would be the color out of space. Is the- color out of space is in many ways kind of a Lovecraft's take on the Book of Job. Oh, it is about. It's a very simple story. It's about a farmer living out in the middle of nowhere. Meteorite crashes into uh, his field. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, he calls some. You know, it's kind of a weird looking rock. So he calls the people from the local college. The scientist dudes come out. They pick at it. They poke on. They poke on it. It has these strange properties and seems to just kind of evaporate, even though it's rock-like. Oh, wow. And then now cut to the farmer feeling great because all of a sudden, the next season, his crops are enormous. Right. But there's something strange about them, and they, they're rotted from the inside, and then they start glowing, and then there seems to be something that has seeped into the groundwater. So it's this idea that there's this alien creature, this entity, right. strikes the earth, strikes this farm, seeps into the soil, and is now in the water... And now all of a sudden his kids start acting strangely. So it's a very it's – a, it's a story of infection. Okay. Uh, and if you've ever read uh, Stephen King's The Tommyknockers, okay. Stephen King is essentially taking that idea of – you know, in that story, uh, the main character is walking their dog. They trip over what looks like a rock. Uh, they're like, that's not a rock. They dig it up. And then over the course of, I think, a week, they dig up an alien spaceship in their backyard. Wow. And so this idea of something lands in your backyard, you don't understand it. But it's it's not so much that it's – and because it, it's not – sentient but it's it's menacing as if its life cycle involves just sapping energy from what's around it okay that one's easy to understand i've just summarized it but the it's you don't read it for the plot you read it for the lovely descriptions you read it for this like this ratcheting up sense of dread of yeah. this farmer and a farmer who he's not a you know it's from his point of view he's not a smart man he's a man right. of the earth right and so he just you it's almost you get kind of sad because this is He's grown up in this valley. He's not going to move. He's not going to pack up his family and leave. So he's just kind of enduring as this things infection? get worse and worse <laughs> and worse. Yeah. So that one I think is a great one to start. Well, um, rant, I would say if you're going to do a three-part kind of thing, yeah. I would say to the readers. Uh, the the color of space. The color out of space. Great out one space. to kind of open up with. Uh, I would say the shadow over Innsmouth. If you want to get some real cursed lineage stuff, that one is actually a pretty straightforward narrative tale about a young man who's touring New England. Okay. He uh, decides to take a bus tour into this weird town that people are like, well, stay out of that town. He's like, oh, <laughs> like you know, he has to be warned. He says, oh, fuck that. Mm-hmm. He goes into the town. The bus breaks down. It's very clear that this town is full of people. With a, It's a town with a dark secret. Right. I won't spoil what the secret is. Don't do it. Uh, and he just... Uh, you know, uh, he wants to leave that night, but he can't because the bus mysteriously breaks down. So he sure. has to spend the night at the inn. And shadow out of what? The shadow over Innsmouth. Over Inns, Innsmouth. Innsmouth, meaning like the mouth at the inn, you know. Oh, right. oh I yeah. get it. Seaside town with a dark secret. Got it. And then I think Call of Cthulhu is a good one to kind of round that out. 
Yeah. And if you uh, if you really love, and this is where I'll go into a, just a quick plug before we yeah because we're, uh, we're, we're yeah we're, we're going into time yeah. uh, if you uh, if you're a lover of, of weird short fiction uh, you know uh, definitely check out Lovecraft uh, if you you know you want to reach out to me I always like to talk that stuff yeah uh, I did uh, and it's 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 uh, it's a good timing because the third volume of a uh, horror anthology series that I voiced. I didn't write it, but I, I provided the voice for. It's out okay. of Darkwater Syndicate. It's called Shadows and Teeth. Uh, so it's uh, nice. Uh, Ten terrifying tales of horror and suspense. So if you like, and what's that on? That is on Audible. Oh, not Audible. Yeah, there you, you find, go. If you like the sound of my voice, if you like maybe me reading and getting into some of sure. those fun things, check that out. Uh, and uh, you know, if you you know, tweet at me. Yeah, uh, it's got Wyatt pro- S. Gray. Tweet me. I've got promo codes, so if you if you've made it through this far, right. uh, the show, you're probably a fan of weird fiction. So yep. I'll be happy to send you a free copy. You can listen to it. Oh, Dark Forest fans, the Rangers, they're definitely <laughs> hello weird Rangers. Fi- hello, they're yeah. So yeah, and it's fans. it's fun. And so if you like to see, you know, these are these are young, usually young authors writing. These are contemporary short stories. Right. Some of the, you know, there's one about a World War One werewolf. There's one about uh, there's a great one about like a succubus. Like if you like right, right. short digestible stories that'll spook you and send us you know yeah, yeah. The, the tingle up your spine. Check it out. Shadows and teeth. Shadows and teeth, teeth. on Audible. On Audible. And it's at Wyatt S Gray. Yep. On Twitter. On Twitter and Wyatt Gray Comedy. Wyatt dot com. And then. Um, and you're doing the uh, nerd melt shows now. Are they Do, monthly? Yeah, we're gonna we're hopefully gonna secure. Uh, I think they're they're just about ready to to commit to commit to us. They Fair have enough. a couple trial things, so I think we're gonna hopefully secure that second Saturday of the month. Okay. If you like uh, if you like good comedy, if you're in the LA area, and if you want to pick up a couple comic books before you go to a show or afterwards, yeah, because meltdown is. Oh. And I would recommend Mike Mignola and um, his Hellboy stuff is mm-hmm. pretty amazing and. Um, but I right now I'm liking his Lord Baltimore. BPRD got bogged down, oh, okay. bogged down in the frogs. Anyway, so do I want to do a pl- like uh, what I'm reading right now? Or yeah. a pl- okay, uh, I'm actually doing. I'm working my way through a nonfiction book right now. I find very interesting and topical. Would- it's called The Dead Hand. Uh, the author escapes me right now, but sure. it's all about uh, the uh, the history of uh, the nuclear program during the Cold War. So it pretty oh. much is a lot of stuff that became declassified within the last five years or so. Oh, interesting. So uh, conversations and transcripts uh, going all the way back from Eisenhower to Reagan. Uh, and the dead uh, hand. if you thought the Cuban Missile Crisis was scary, <laughs> you don't know all the close calls we had <laughs> that you probably don't know about because they were... I just watched War Games again. And, yeah, that's uh, right on there. DEFCON so, 1. And I wonder, why is it that you and I just seem to be... Uh, why are why is nukes in the in the public conscious right now? Why would we reach? Why, why would we like why be drawn to that as a, as comedians and people who kind of try to be in the zeitgeist? Yes, history is cyclical. You guys, oh, here's man. the good news: it's cyclical. Here's the bad news: it's cyclical. Here's the bad news: during the Cold War, there was a phone line between the Kremlin and the White House, so mm-hmm. we could pick it up at any time. The bad news is there's not a phone line between Washington and Pyongyang right now. Oh, so but. Miscommunications uh, happen. I will say Donald probably has Vladimir's phone number, cell-wise. <laughs> In other news... Uh, also, stay safe out there on this Halloween night, everybody. If you're yeah, going out, uh, do not drink and drive. Uh, take care of yourself. Take care of your friends. Hey, take an Uber or take an a Lyft, Uber. you guys. They probably have my, a promo code right now. It's true. My my last uh, DUI cost seven grand, you guys. <laughs> so know in your hearts that you will also save money as well as possibly lives. So thank you, Wyatt Gray, for being on the Thank on the you, Dork Jackie. Forest. Thank you, Rangers, for listening. All right. And Rangers, you know the rules out there. Take care of each other. My hat, my hat, my hat. They're dancing around my hat, my hat, my hat, my hat. Well, what do you think of that? 
If it looks like a Mexican hat dance and it sounds like a Mexican hat dance, it's most likely a Mexican hat dance. So take off your hat and let's dance. Yay! Oh, my God. We, why don't we just call that as the end of the show?